Hi, my name's Emily and I'm an osteopath and healthcare enthusiast working in the Midlands. I spend every week helping my patients reduce their aches and pains, move their bodies more and live the healthiest life possible. And now I want you to join the conversation. In this podcast, I'll be investigating the people and places around the Midlands that are on the same mission and ask them to share their knowledge to transform your health. There's no subject that's off topic. Nutrition, mental health, sleep and fitness, it's all here. This is the Healthy Midlands podcast. So I am thrilled to have Tash Turner with me this afternoon to record a podcast. Tash is our very first guest from the south side of the city, working in the gym in Kings Heath. Um, And Tash also has her own business online, Buff Bombs. Hi, Tash. Hello. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about a few different things today, Tash. But the most important thing to open with is that we are going to be talking about your recovery from anorexia. So if anybody finds that really difficult or uncomfortable to listen to, um, maybe this episode of the podcast isn't for them. Um, But spoiler alert, it's got a great ending. (laughs) Um, So even if you find it a difficult topic, I think that Tashi's story is really worth listening to um, because it's a really inspirational one. Do you want to start me off with that, Tash? Yeah, so I try to start from the beginning. Um, So it all started started losing weight essentially when I was 15, 16 age. Um, I struggled in school in terms of academic wise, even though it was a great school, um, but I just always with dyslexia really struggled in that part. And it was when out of nowhere, when I was 15, I had a physics test, some really, really random physics test. And physics was always a really hard subject for me, but I remember distinctively like the, a few nights before, just like revising for it really hard to the point where I kind of forgot to eat. Then when the test came up, I got one of the highest uh, marks in the class. And it was so like commended because I think everyone just was like, I was always the person getting the bottom of the, the bottom mark in the class. But then I got the top one. So from that, I just created association with doing well, performing well and not eating that just sort of changed my mentality. I'd never had any sort of eating disorder before, don't have a history of it in the family or anything like that. But at the same time, I was going through a growth spurt. So I used to be like sort of below average. I'm now, I'm 5'11 now, but going <laughs> to a high, yeah. tall. <laughs> so it's like this moment in your life where there's a lot of change happening in your body yeah. and then something really momentous has happened in terms of your academics Mm -hmm. but it just so happens to have coincided with this moment where you were studying really hard and forgot to have a meal and something in your kind of juvenile developing brain has married those two events together in such a solid way yeah that it's become like a, a trip switch yeah and just from that and I think my family work really hard and even though we're like close but I guess when you see someone all the time you don't realize they're sort of losing weight and like you say if you're growing very tall at the same you know yeah most teenagers go through a bit of a beating pole stage don't they yeah. they grow tall before they fill out exactly and um it's really easy to write off that happening mm-hmm. as just kind of the way that you know oh Tashi's just growing really tall all of a sudden yeah mm. for sure and it got to a point so I think it's starting to spiral out of control and 
one thing I mean I hope my school doesn't do this anymore but it definitely had an effect on I guess all the girls at my school every half term um so girls and boys were separate and like terms like separate houses and stuff but our girls sort of house had to go and get weighed but in front of everyone and it, yeah <laughs> it's That's like bizarre. it's mad like I, I talked so one of my best friends from uni who was also anorexic very similar story we're like talking about this and I was just saying it like it was normal but actually like now really looking back that wasn't normal at all and it was just the sort of matron and whatever it's called oh sort of like school nurse yeah. situation, quite medicalized but yeah oh. so I think is I mean anorexia definitely was like more of a thing like you know, on the rise and becoming more noticeable I guess um so in my school their sort of way of dealing with it with their pupils was hey everyone's gonna be start of half term after half term's gone everyone's just gonna get weighed in front of everyone so they were doing it almost as like a preventative measure to eating disorders but it was so counterintuitive that it was causing them Uh, yeah like because it was such a very it was a very sporty school I went to and everyone was like competitive in some way yeah so everyone's gonna be you know we all Everyone in my house had like a, oh, what we, you know, you are with this weight then. Oh, you've gone down. Oh, you've gone up. And yeah. So I mean, ultimately all of those weights are going to go up because you're still growing. Yeah. You're going away 14 year old girls. Mm -hmm. They're going to weigh more in six months because they're taller. They've put on more muscle. They're filling out in their kind of like hormonally in their bodies. And things are going to fluctuate you know up and down you know and you know this now as Mm. a personal trainer things are going to fluctuate day to day with somebody's weight Mm. maybe that's maybe studying in that minutiae yeah but honestly that was not definitely at that age that was not you know point across enough at all it was very much what do you weigh hopefully it's gone up but if it hasn't like you're you're gonna be kept an eye on in school yeah but everyone was secretly competing to get the lowest weight or and be or at least being sort of the bottom half of the yeah of like the whole average of yeah the class whatever Mm. so it was such a that again um affected me for sure and being competitive so I they found out from there like I was losing a lot of weight while my height was growing and it got to the point I was five stone 11 when I was 16 and about five foot, five foot eight, five foot nine. So my that is BMI nothing. was, yeah, pretty much not even on the chart. So that's when my school got in touch with my parents to like, what's going on? And then I was starting to get weighed every day, which made it even worse. And, mm. but it, yeah, it was just, it's weird time. I kind of like block out a lot of like how I was feeling then. I had like such drive in terms of like well if I get to university I want if I do the A levels I want then I can be away from all this and I can then really do what I want with my life and that is <laughs> get as skinny as possible it was back then yeah um like it's just the mentality I had like wanted to be able to put like the tip of my thumb and my top finger around my whole bicep if I could do that I'm doing well if I could see all my ribs I'm doing well which is completely irrational but that is how anorexia works yeah it's not the way that somebody who is well it's not the way that they think about their size or their weight Mm -hmm. and that's that's why it's a condition it's not you know it's not it's not even really a physical condition it's a mental health condition yeah definitely Mm. 
And it's, uh, I think, in that sort of era, there seems to be less of it now, more, I think, fitness-related. People want to look stronger as opposed to look skinny yeah, in many respects. Definitely. No. I mean, would this have been going on? I think we're about the same age, aren't yeah. we? So we would have been at school kind of, um, I guess we would have left secondary school around 2010. Mm-hmm. So you would have been in secondary school in the noughties. Yeah. And this was like the time of... Um, <clears throat> Oh, okay, I'm just going to name names. Mm. Sorry, Misha Barton. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Paris Hilton and Lindsay Kate Lohan. Moss, definitely. Kate oh. Moss, someone that I looked up to and was like, oh, she looks good. And it was just such a toxic um, look to be presenting to girls who are that age and yeah. that influenceable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you look back at photos with... I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? But you look back at photos of celebrities from the noughties now and they look so ill. Yeah. They look really unwell. Most of these women look like they have problems with um, definitely drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was rife, you know. They were getting pulled over by the police and, and put in jail overnight yeah. and <laughs> given like DUIs and stuff like that. But when you're... 15 you don't know what a DUI is and no. you don't really I mean if you grow up in a loving and supportive household like you did Tash and, yeah. and like I did I'd like to point out you also don't know what class A drugs are no, <laughs> at no. 15 <laughs> <laughs> um so it's it's just it, completely unattainable to have a body like that and be healthy in these um it was really of a time, wasn't it? Mm. it? Kind of culturally in the magazines and stuff. And that, that yeah. was the look that everyone was going for. And like you say, thank God now it is kind of turned around on to um, kind of aspirational body types being strong and healthy mm-hmm. women's bodies. So hopefully girls who are that age now aren't going to be, well, certainly I don't yeah, think. Yeah, hopefully. Because it is just especially going for your- like few through can't speak that um sort of puberty stage as well so one of the things for me like when you know my parents suddenly like realized what was happening I never had a period either so all my friends were getting periods and going through those whole mood swing sides and stuff and I was like well this is even better because I'm not having that and I don't need to wear a pad or a tampon or even care about that stuff like why why would I want to do that to myself um and it was when I was going to like a gynecologist then and um you know they'll try they're like oh but you need to just put on weight and I'm secretly not trying to do that yeah but one of the big turning points for me then was um I think by this point I was about 17 18 and they were saying and I was like a really big runner and big rower back then and they said if you carry on like this you're going to get osteoporosis before you're 30 and will not be able to do any of those activities ever again. So that was one, like, wouldn't say, you know, click of the fingers and I'm suddenly back to like a normal mental state, but I was trying and it was just then a constant battle and probably the hardest part of the whole journey of trying to get better because your brain's telling you to, you know, to eat more so that you can do all these things in the long run. But you know, your heart's like saying, oh, but you don't want periods and you don't want to do this. And it's just demons constantly like, you know, that you're battling. Yeah. So there's this kind of conflict then between 
it's kind of started when you're about 15 and then by the time it's taken in hand properly Mm. you're about 17 that's quite a long established way of thinking then isn't it and these are habits that you've formed and and the hardship on your body you've kind of like gotten used to in in many ways Mm -hmm. like it's such a drive that you're not feeling like if I had a few days where I didn't eat as much my body would tell me to eat and I would listen to it because I'm not used to resisting it yeah and I haven't built up that kind of like mental barrier in you know but that is I mean that's why when you're anorexic you're very poorly and you Mm. have got um kind of this this fight then between the poorly part of your brain and the part of your brain that's a rational thinker and going well I want to row and I want to run um but then I think for teenage girls especially there is this like double-edged sword in sport in that it's for their health absolutely Mm. but a lot of the sports that teenage girls can be into especially like gymnastics and things like that that they are and dance they are encouraged to stay very lithe and very slim and very small and you know like I have patients who have been um, ballerinas professional ballerinas Mm. and when they've been training as teenage girls they've said like we won't be able to lift you if you put an if you're putting on two more kilos we won't be able to lift you as high Mm. and you won't get into the the next show or you won't get this or and it's held as like an ideal then isn't it to be that slim in sport yeah for girls um so it's just it's a complete minefield so for you to turn sport which even for some girls can be a, a bad influence if they're poorly with anorexia yeah for you to turn that into your strength Mm-hmm. and your motivation to get well again is incredible yeah yeah, yeah. i like to hope that you know that sort of got me better to be honest it still took a good few years again I still look back and I'm like you know trying to remember like the day or today of how it all went like, I was still running like crazy I was still rowing like competitively um but I think I was just getting healthier and better and just sort of you know fighting that battle but it was only properly, like, I turned this time about 21. And I was in my sort of uh, placement year at university. So I was in Bristol. And I started, I joined at a pole studio when I'd, like, broken up with an ex-boyfriend or something. <laughs> always, like, oh. always a good moment, yeah. though, to, like, do something new, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I'll show him. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's going to miss me. Um, so <laughs> there was, like, yeah, a pole studio around the corner, just stones throw away from me. And I absolutely went to a first class and just absolutely fell in love with it. I had absolutely no upper body strength whatsoever, but I just love the vibe. And you didn't, I have like two left feet. I couldn't dance, save my life. But when you're on a pole, it kind of doesn't matter and you can just do other things. Yeah, so it's like the movement and the momentum. Yeah. I mean, that's quite gymnastic really, isn't it? You've got to have a lot of strength to pole dance. Yeah, definitely. Like gymnastics, flexibility, just you can like separate pole into so much like diverse it's not just the sort of you know exotic size side that like older men think it is (laughs) there's way too more more to it than that well there's a a lot more strength I think than anybody yeah thinks yeah which again I guess like anorexia as well like people and like 
moving on into fitness the sort of pole side of exotic is now moving more into like a fitness and growing yeah. like exponentially in terms of studios and everything like that as well but this was a good how am I now so this is a good eight years ago that I went and fell in love with it from that and just noticed the changes instantly in my body like my shoulders getting bigger and like just sort of growing out a bit more in terms of like muscle and like all the things that back a few years prior to that I would have been fearing so much yeah but because I really enjoyed the sport so much that just overcompensated those mental feelings I was feeling before and like from that like knowing if I wanted to get stronger at pole I needed to eat more for the energy to do that and that is for me like the proper turning point yeah of yeah just getting stronger putting on naturally putting more on more weight but did not care at all in the slightest and I think that's kind of that's the thing isn't it is it's a reframing of it so when you're doing a sport that requires more muscle mm-hmm. like bigger muscle mass mm. then you look at that muscle mass when it arrives as like a blessing rather than something that you you then have to try and work to strip off yeah um and I think pole in particular is it's a forum that's got a background where um having a little bit of extra body fat would be celebrated Mm -hmm. because if you are (laughs) this is so crude now but if you are going to take the pole dancing skill that you learn even if it is like from a fitness background and like Take it to make some money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you might also want to be taking like a couple of extra percentage of body fat with yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, definitely. To that forum. That, in that forum, it's really celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is great. And that is like the great sort of positive side, I guess, like you say, of fitness. You know, it's not like the ballet where you're trying to be as skinny as possible so that the men can lift you up. Like at the end of the day, the, the bloody men should do more shoulder presses so they can lift you up, not the other way around. Ah, uh, yes. But yeah, definitely in pole. It's like, well, if I'm going to lift my body up, I'm going to have to, you know, yeah. put on that strength and evidently like just grow more. But hey, I'm going to look stronger and look better for it. And Yeah, and be healthier. Yeah. And have a healthier re- mental relationship with my body. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So that kind of, the the pole fit then kind of brought you down this path where you'd gone from hating your body having a completely irrational illness that was trying to destroy it Mm -hmm. to celebrating it nourishing it properly and then ultimately going on to train as a personal trainer yeah that's it um so in that time I was on a placement yeah I worked at um Am I allowed to say brands on this podcast? I mean, you, you can. <laughs> uh, yeah. For anyone who listens to the podcast regularly, they will know that um, basically I drop brand names all the time. Oh, and okay. I think that there's a string of big corporates who will probably be issuing with me with like libel cases. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've said some unflattering things. Uh, <laughs> not that. This isn't bad at all. I, no, I no. worked at Marks and Spencer basically as a placement year. Oh. And they were great. Um, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it was like in that time. So I actually got my period back when I was on at work one day and having to do this big like walk around with all these massive managers. I was wearing a, a white dress. So that was the worst thing ever. Of course you were. Oh yeah, that's always the way. And all my all the bosses there were men and I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Anyway, 
Yeah, long story short, it's like a female body coming back at you with a vengeance, isn't it, it, at that point? (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, I was having the heaviest periods ever, so it was like, oh my God, my body is making up for like a good... I know my best friend at the time had a period when she was 11, so it was a good 10 years apart for the two of us. I was like, this is my body making up for 10 years of nothingness. I mean, it's also like all of your female hormones ultimately are, are based in fat and cholesterol. Yeah. So if you're not consuming enough fat and cholesterol to make them, Mm -hmm. then they're going to be completely out of sync with one another in terms of your estrogen and progesterone and mm. that can give you really heavy and painful periods yeah mm. yeah so that was sort of my life but yeah that was all so <laughs> anyway i won't go in the nitty-gritty of that but <laughs> another podcast you want to talk about yeah. periods. <laughs> um no so that was like mns i was in sales and then from there like after graduating from uni i carried on in sales in like various other jobs and really really hated it um just wasn't for me having a like an office a desk life where I'm just not being active just wasn't for me either but I was forever like going to the gym at six in the mornings having a really good training program and it was in the gym I currently work at the moment um like people was coming up to me like oh can you help me with this thing and that thing you seem to know your stuff and I guess in my spare time I'd been like studying fitness and mm. like, how to do things correctly especially because again I was using that so I could get better at pole more than anything um and then it it just happened like I'd left a sales job um quite abruptly and I just didn't know what I really wanted to do with my life and then I was like why like why am I not a personal trainer why like it just sort of clicks and (laughs) it seems so obvious yeah and even though like I think my parents back like eight years and years ago I thought oh about being a PT but it was like before social media or anything and my dad was like oh no such a saturated market don't do it you won't make any money yeah Um, I think that for some people they have this idea that being a trainer means that you're gonna be sort of like skulking around the gym looking at people going yeah. do, you, do you want help with that do you want yeah. and that nobody wants the help and it is so reverse now I feel like training is um just exploding mm-hmm. and I feel like more and more people have personal trainers than ever before because like you said everyone's becoming more conscious of their health and kind of like oh god through the last 18 months with the covid situation yeah. i think we're kind of all being directed to think a little bit more about the longevity of our bodies mm-hmm. and how they're going to last into the future and how we're going to protect them and make them as healthy as they can possibly be yeah and on the back of that like the fitness industry has gone crazy yeah exactly so yeah like say so people are being more and more health conscious mm-hmm. um and it was just like, well, I know what I can do and people are coming up to me when I'm not a personal trainer. So how about if I become a qualified one and advertise a little bit and see what happens? Yeah. So got the qualification and that is when COVID happened and I became <laughs> on furlough anyway. Um, so that's when um, I uh, had my Buff Bombs idea. So I should backtrack anyway like prior to that I did become a sports masseuse before becoming a level three personal trainer so I've been doing that a bit in my spare time while I was doing the PT qualification um and I'd always like emphasize to my clients and stuff like oh how much like I've always used Epsom salts in my baths as like one of my like main sort of recoveries so good Mm, Epsom salts are life they're the best (laughs) um 
And I think it was just in a month into lock, the first lockdown. And I'd had a dream about, like, I don't know why, it's a really boring dream, um, how, like, Epsom salts are so great and wondering whether my lush bath bombs had Epsom salts in. Um, and it was about four in the morning when I woke up, I was like, I need to know this. So I researched it. <laughs> I was just like, researched the ingredients on that. I was like, there isn't Epsom salts in this, but surely you can get like a bath bomb that does contain Epsom salts. And no. 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 I would have thought there would be. I would have thought there would be. No. no. So I think they did bring out Once Upon a Time, but one that contained extreme like minimal as like a, a, a touch, a little fizzle of yeah. Epsom salts, but not enough to Actually consist of do anything. It's going to benefit anything. Um, and I'd like reading like forums, like, oh, Epsom salts, cause they're quite heavy, like salt, heavy ingredient. If you want a bath bomb to float and fizz, like people do, they're just going to sink and not do much. Yeah. Um, and I kind of had a mission to change that cause Hey, we had all the time in the world and I wasn't doing anything so. <laughs> at home every yeah, day. Yeah. So you decided to put on your lab coat and goggles and figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. Never like made a bath bomb in my life, but bought this, like initially bought a kid's pack of like how to make a bath bomb with, um, the normal like citric acid and baking powder. And then I was slowly like, adding Epsom salts and then I was adding like other ingredients that I'd researched that helped things, help the bath bombs fizz and float. Mm. And a good, like long story short, like 70 attempts later, a few months down the line, I'd cracked it and it was floating, fizzing and like keeping together. And then I was just like in my head, right, what can I do to make it a design to target the fitness industry yeah so they are just super cute (laughs) (laughs) I've been online and I've had a look at the website and they are adorable (laughs) little kettlebells but um yeah back then when I was designing the mold no one in the UK would make the mold for me unless it was like over some sort of three-figure price Mm. so I ended up getting the mold made for, for me from Russia and then that took a few months to come with all the COVID like post sort of delays and whatnot. Oh, wow. So it was a really long, much longer process than ever, ever hoping. But in that time, I was creating like a business plan and actually putting my business degree to some sort of good use as well. And like creating my whole little small business I've got today. So just really briefly for anybody who doesn't already understand the amazing benefits <laughs> of Epsom salts and maybe some of the other ingredients <laughs> that you include in the Buff Bombs. Why are Epsom salts so good for our muscles? Uh, Epsom salts just do like wonders and they are a miracle and like, a very natural miracle as well. So basically just soaking in an Epsom salt bath, um, good 20 to 30 minutes at least, but obviously longer is even better, but it will reduce muscle pain and soreness and just prevents inflammation in the joints as well as like all together will help you improve yeah, exercise when you're back in the gym or whatever you do and that recovery process as well. So it's all for the recovery. Yeah. So in the Epsom salts, um, am I right in thinking loads of magnesium, loads of sulfates, mm-hmm. and you can get those into your body through the skin just yes, by soaking just in the absorbing. Bath. So yeah, you warm your body, obviously having like a nice warm bath. So it opens the pores in your skin so that, yeah, the magnesium, the sulfates can all just sink in nicely so you can reap all those benefits i mean it's delightful and if you try and get magnesium in other ways you've got to like eat loads of green vegetables Uh or 
lie in the bath for 30 yeah. minutes yeah <laughs> I mean I know Pretty I know nice. what I'd rather do so. <laughs> <laughs> we can eat spinach in the bath as well like double whammy double up yeah. inside outside yeah <laughs> so um you do ship all over the UK don't you Tash? yes yeah hopefully do worldwide whenever you know post so the postman supports small businesses but for <laughs> now yes uh all, all over the UK and so far, we've sold how many boxes? I'm on order number 325 at the moment. So. Oh, incredible. So yeah. it's taking off quite a lot. Yeah. And what good. I'll do is I'll link up um, Tashi's website for Buff Bums in the show notes. Oh, so that's thank you. www.buffbums.com. <laughs> yep. um, and you can find Tash otherwise at Kings Heath, the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to go and train with her and you're also on instagram aren't you tash yes uh, so tash t fit all one word and also buff bombs as well you can dm, DM me and either of those <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your amazing story oh, of your recovery you. from anorexia with me today tash oh, and also about your inspiration during lockdown to start buff bombs it <laughs> sounds incredible and i will definitely be placing an order <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for having me thanks Thanks for listening to the Healthy Midlands podcast. Make sure to hit the follow button so that you can be the first to know when the next episode is up. Leave a review or share this podcast with a friend if you found it useful. And for more, come and find us on Instagram at Healthy Midlands.